You are listening to the Krika Lecture Series podcast, produced by the Center for Russia, East Europe, and Central Asia at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This and other Krika podcasts are available on SoundCloud and iTunes. For more information about Krika's lecture series and public events, visit our website at krika.wisc.edu. All right. Uh, um, hello, everyone. Uh, well, uh, my name is Abulet Kamalov, and I'm professor of Turan University located in Almaty, Kazakhstan. And uh, today my talk will be on the migration from China to Kazakhstan of the 1950s and 60s. Uh, and that cross-border migration uh, belongs uh, to little studied topics in the academic literature. Uh, well, and in the Soviet times, uh, in our countries, in the Soviet times, it was not covered for uh, many reasons, uh, especially for political reasons, uh, since the Soviet government uh, concealed the, uh, its involvement in the events in Chinese province of Xinjiang, uh, bordering Kazakhstan and other Central Asian republics. Well, and scholars in Kazakhstan and Russia began to uh, discuss this uh, migration, this topic, after the collapse of the Soviet Union. And uh, by now, in general, uh, it, this topic has been uh, examined in the context of our interstate uh, migrations from China to Kazakhstan. And uh, uh, there are uh, some books and uh, uh, articles uh, published uh, on this topic. Uh, well, however, existing studies on migration of this period are based mainly on the analysis of materials from archives of Kazakhstan and Russia. Uh, and one of the main works uh, here based on which which was based on the analysis of archival documents uh, is the book which was published by the Russian scholar uh, Ablaje. Uh, and that book is called uh, Kazakh Military uh, Pendulum Kazakhstan Xinjiang Immigration, Repatriation and Integration. And it was published in early uh, in, in 2000. Uh, uh, 15, it was the second edition. Uh, well, in uh, Western countries, uh, one can find only some references to, to, to the migration that I uh, mentioned, I mean, uh, the migration of the 1950s and 60s. Uh, and uh, you can find some references in the works by George Mosley, uh, Donald Macmillan, uh, and uh, there were only a couple of uh, articles published on this issue. One of these articles was uh, published uh, by myself with, uh, in co uh, and I co-authored that article with uh, William um, Clark, and it was published in 2004. Uh, and uh, just recently, a couple of um, publications, a couple of articles uh, uh, examined one of the episodes uh, of that migration, the exodus of 1962. Uh, well, and uh, last uh, year, uh, a group of uh, scholars from Kazakhstan uh, uh, accomplished a research project which was called uh, Oral History of Migration of 1950s and 70s from China to Kazakhstan. And uh, there were some publications uh, uh, done with it within that uh, project and uh, uh, the volume is uh, going to be published soon uh, well and uh, that project um, for, uh, uh, used not only the traditional let's say traditional uh, uh, sources the archival sources but also uh, it uh, uh, use the oral histories or uh, which uh, the uh, interviews which were recorded uh, in Kazakhstan uh, and uh, I, I was a, a supervisor I was uh, the director of that project and our group uh, recorded uh, the conducted the interviews with uh, uh, the migrants of different ethnic groups, such as Kazakhs, Uyghurs, Dungans, Tatars, and Russians in Kazakhstan, and mainly in 
um, Almaty uh, Oblast and the in uh, Eastern Kazakhstan Oblast. And uh, that was the, the uh, let's say, the latest uh, work done on this project. And therefore, I will uh, incorporate in my presentation some of the uh, results of our project as well. Uh, well, and I will come back to this project later in my talk. And uh, generally, uh, my talk uh, in my talk, uh, I'm going to discuss uh, causes, uh, main stages, and consequences of the migration of 1950s and 60s, uh, putting it uh, into the context of uh, geopolitical situation and uh, Soviet-Chinese relations. Uh, well, in other words, uh, I will uh, th this uh, migration will be examined. Uh, within the paradigm uh, of great game but uh, it it will also show the other like alternative methodological approaches to the study of this migration and one of them will be the oral history which we used in our project uh, well uh, uh, I, I would like to start with the um, with my uh, discussion uh, with addressing uh, like some of the uh, issues, uh, and especially, um, uh, let me uh, check my presentation. Can, uh, can, can you see it? Yeah, I can Is see it. it. Okay. Um, yep. Well, okay. Uh, well, uh, so I will start with, uh, my presentation uh, with the uh, uh, with the reference to the uh, cross-border migrations. Uh, well, cross-border migration uh, of the 1950s and 1960s from China to Kazakhstan uh, belongs to the little studied topics in academic literature, as I already said. And uh, so I give here um, the, those, uh, well, I already articulated the, the information that uh, you can see here with the reference to the Mosley, uh, and other authors. Uh, well, and uh, as soon as I already mentioned some of the uh, literature, uh, let me go quickly through the uh, um, literature, I mean, so it's through other publications uh, which are available on this topic. So uh, on the top, you see the reference to the to Ablage. Uh, uh, this work uh, was uh, like, uh, was published in Kazakh uh, in Russian, uh, the Kazakh um, migratory uh, pendulum, Kazakhstan Xinjiang, immigration, repatriation, and integration. And uh, so far, it's one of the best works uh, which was published uh, uh, on this topic, and it it is fully based on uh, on uh, the analysis of uh, archival materials. Uh, archives, archival materials which are uh, which were available in Kazakhstan and uh, Russia. Uh, well, uh, then uh, I am referring here to some uh, several publications published uh, uh, in gen generally on uh, the migration from Kazakhstan to China and uh, from China to Kazakhstan, uh, uh, which belong to Kazirova, Mendikulova, Sadovskaya. Uh, so the uh, so several uh, publications that I already uh, referred to they are uh, they were published in uh, Russia or in Almaty mainly in Almaty I see. Uh, well uh, uh, here are the, are the other re uh, references that I already mentioned to Mosaic uh, and I didn't mention club. Uh, and Club China and Russia, uh, the Great Game, which was published in 1971. And on the bottom, you see some of the uh, articles which have been published on, uh, on the topic that I'm going to, to discuss today. Uh, well, uh, I would like to start my uh, like addressing the, 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 the topic itself with the theoretical approaches which can be used in order to uh, discuss the migration from China to Kazakhstan of that of the period I'm um, of the 1950s and 60s. Uh, well, uh, first of all, it's a frontier, uh, the theory of frontier, or the concept of frontier. Uh, well, this uh, migration uh, 
uh, happened uh, on uh, on the borderline. It it was a cross-border migration uh, from Xinjiang, uh, from those districts which were uh, uh, like neighboring the uh, several provinces of of Soviet Kazakhstan. And uh, here uh, we can bring the uh, discuss, to discussion the concept of China frontier, uh, uh, the, the, as a special region, uh, which is uh, the periphery with the mobile population, uh, when uh, the, where the intensive cross-border relations occur, and uh, cross uh, frequent cross-border migrations happen, uh, and uh, as, as a very special zone with a particular. Uh, uh, interrelations between the uh, periphery and the center, between the uh, like uh, between one part of the border with with the, with the other, uh, so interstate relations, and uh, and it it also really uh, it is also related to, to the different other aspects of the uh, society, the communities living there, including the ethnic identity. Uh, well, and uh, the discussion of the particularities of the cross-border relations uh, on the frontier regions uh, was discussed uh, by American uh, scholar Owen Latimore, uh, and he, uh, he for the first time showed how the uh, events which happened on the one side of the, of the empire uh, had influence on the on the people uh, on the other side, and how the people usually uh, uh, behaved uh, on these uh, uh, frontier areas uh, if the certain political collisions happened in, uh, uh, in their country. Uh, so, uh, the, uh, so in order to understand this topic, of course, we uh, we are bringing to discussion this. idea of the frontier as a special uh, area and uh, uh, we can also mention here that uh, the population uh, used the resources which were uh, given by this borderland uh, well so we can look at this uh, the entire story as uh, not only as something like uh, which had the negative uh, Elements, but also as a uh, as a source of uh, certain resource for the for, for the population. Well, uh, of course, when discussing the migration, uh, we refer to the concept which are used in the migration studies. And here, uh, I refer to the push and pull factors of the migration. Well, generally, uh, 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 as soon as uh, uh, the uh, Migration happened uh, involved two countries, uh, and it was a cross-border migration. So the uh, paradigm of great game uh, can be used here, and uh, we uh, many events uh, relating to the migration uh, happened because of the uh, uh, because of this uh, interaction between the great powers and the interaction between uh, Russia and China, and sometimes even the in the previous periods, uh, uh, Great Britain was also involved, and the, uh, even the United States of America in the events in Xinjiang. Uh, so the role of great game uh, of great powers um, uh, brings the concept or the paradigm of great game here. Well, and uh, diaspora studies, of course, uh, uh, as soon as. Uh, the ethnic groups which migrated from Xinjiang to Kazakhstan, um, well, they, not all of them, but some, many of them belong to the uh, ethnic minorities, uh, ethnic minorities either on, on the side of China or you know, on, on the territory of the Soviet Union. So uh, these uh, discussions, uh, they are uh, bringing the uh, like conceptual um, issues which were developed within the diaspora studies, like the diaspora, the diaspora discussion of the diaspora is very uh, important to discuss uh, issues of the host country and the homeland. So the idea of homeland is also very important for the for understanding of 
the social process happening in these communities. Well, and last but not least, uh, the uh, when we discussed the uh, or used the archival materials from from the archives, the documents from the archives, uh, it brings uh, it gives uh, the general uh, picture from uh, let's say from above, uh, meaning. It, uh, uh, we have a lot of very important information from the archival materials, but all of them uh, the state uh, represent the vision from the governmental bodies uh, first uh, mainly, and and therefore uh, using all the archival materials may like create certain one-sided story. Uh, and um, if you look, uh, if you uh, read the publication that I already mentioned, the, the book by Ablage, which is um, fully un based on the archival materials, you will see that it's an excellent work, but uh, it, it shows only uh, the, it represents this, this migration only from the, um, uh, from one, one certain angle, and this angle is the vision of the state or the state. Chinese or the uh, Soviet Union, uh, the China or Soviet Union. Well, and therefore, uh, the uh, in our project that uh, I mentioned, we uh, we uh, use the oral history as a research method, and oral history uh, is one of the uh, ways to avoid the essentialism, which uh, can um, uh, the essentialism of the uh, archival materials of the. the Essentials which the archival materials produce, and uh, this principle, the the principle uh, of using alternative visions, uh, is like writing history from below, and uh, and one of the uh, like one of the methods of writing history from below, which is the oral history, was employed in our project, and it it was quite productive, and therefore, and here when we use the oral. Uh, of course, there, there, uh, there, there are uh, many like theoretical uh, aspects of this uh, approach, and uh, uh, and we inevitably discuss not only history, historical facts, but also issue of the memory, how the memory works, and how the, it is selective, and so on and so forth. Well, uh, let me uh, uh, as soon as uh, the general frame of this discussion is the paradigm of great game, uh, briefly. Um, uh, briefly uh, discuss uh, the uh, concept of the great game, uh, and I think you are familiar with it. But uh, it's just to uh, give gen general insight in into this um, uh, concept of the great game. Well, uh, under great game, uh, we usually understand the competition between the and the British Empire for domination in Central Asia, uh, which uh, occurred uh, in the second half of the 20th century and early uh, 19th century, I'm sorry, and the early 20th uh, century. Uh, well, uh, and this competition uh, uh, was concentrated generally on the territory of the uh, what uh, later became the uh, Russian Turkestan, and uh, it embraced the uh, territory of Afghanistan, uh, but uh, uh, to a certain extent, it also uh, covered the territory of Xinjiang uh, or East uh, Turkestan. Well, this, uh, uh, when it comes, uh, uh, the, uh, so the Great is uh, actually a particular uh, episode of interrelations between the Great Powers, uh, the Russian and the British Empire. Uh, and uh, uh, later in the 20th century, later uh, the the great game turned into the certain paradigm, uh, and uh, the notion of great game was uh, used not only for for those particular historical uh, events and historical period, but uh, uh, it started to be using for the. Uh, uh, for the discussion of any role of the great powers uh, on the territory of Central Asia. Uh, and uh, during the Xinjiang uh, province of China became uh, one of those uh, places where uh, 
the use of the great powers uh, encountered, uh, the interests of China, Russia, Great Britain, and the United States, and uh, therefore uh, the competition between China and, and at the same time, by the way, at the same time, the competition between China and Russia was also uh, called the Great Game, or was also put into the frame of this Great Game concept. And uh, the book, which was written by Oliver Klump, China and Russia, the Great Game, for the first time, like um, uh, named the, the relations uh, or characterized the relations between China and Russia uh, as uh, the Great Game. Uh, this and uh, well, and the concept of Great Game uh, is used uh, now, and New Great Game is a paradigm uh, in the study of the Great Powers' role in post-Soviet Central Asia after the uh, uh, collapse of the Soviet Union. So we can frequently uh, find. Uh, see the references to the discussion of the uh, policy of great powers towards Central Asian countries uh, as a uh, uh, great game, as a competition. Well, uh, as usual, as uh, as usual, all these uh, concepts or theories, uh, they have the both pluses and minuses, and uh, they also have limitations. <clears throat> and the limitations of this uh, approach of uh, great game paradigm <coughs> well, uh, uh, as I already referred to that, they uh, represent the historical um, the historical event uh, only uh, through the lens of the great powers, or in, in other words, the great powers are becoming the only historical actors uh, of uh, historical actors, and then uh, all other um, actors are uh, like not shown, or we we, we, sh we see the situation only through the lens of the uh, actions and the policies of the great powers. Uh, so the um, uh, this is the essentialization of great game. And uh, recently, uh, the British historian Alexander Morrison uh, criticized this essentialization of great game as well as the concept of Silk Road. Uh, which is also being essentialized at the moment in the academic literature. Well, how to avoid this essentialization? And uh, I uh, already uh, referred to, the, to, to one of the possi possible uh, theoretical approaches uh, using the oral history. So there are many other, of course, ways of uh, avoiding this essentialization or creating or avoiding this one-sided picture of the historical events. Uh, well, uh, and before, uh, well, uh, to continue with this uh, great game, uh, concept of the great game, uh, I've put here some of the uh, most important uh, issues relating to the Sino-Russian relations. Uh, well, as soon as the migration happened, um, uh, it was uh, migration that we are discussing today will be um, uh, will be cover will cover two countries. Uh, it happened on uh, uh, on the territory uh, on the cross on the border of China and uh, and Russia. So it's very important to look uh, briefly uh, to 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 give insight to the general generally relations between China and Russia and uh, putting it into, into the framework of the concept of great game. Well, uh, if we look at the history of interrelations between the Russian empire and uh, the Qing empire, um, well, so the, these are some of the, uh, I put here some of the main uh, treaties uh, uh, between China, between Ch Qing empire and then later China uh, and the Russian Empire and the latest Soviet Union, and uh, which show the uh, how these regulations uh, and and it's very important to um, uh, well to discuss the uh, migration issues as well because uh, the uh, migration between uh, China and Kazakhstan happened within the framework of the uh, of uh, this event uh, these these events and all these uh, like political. Um, uh, 
events and treaties were very important uh, for the for understanding of how the uh, interaction between the countries uh, have been regulated uh, and uh, the relations that uh, and the regulation of those relations started uh, started uh, with the Nerchus Treaty, which was signed in 1689, and there were several other treaties of the 19th century, Aigun and Beijing treaties. Uh, and uh, when it comes to the uh, to the regulations of relation, relations in Central Asia, in Russian Central Asia and uh, Chinese Central Asia, so uh, the early one of the earliest uh, treaties which regulated the trade relations and um, any like mainly trade relations between China and uh, uh, the Russian Empire in Central Asia was the Kulja Treaty of 1851. Uh, well, and uh, the uh, next uh, to understand to discuss the what happened next after the uh, Kulja Treaty signed 1851, uh, it's it's uh, important to look at the political events on the territory of Xinjiang. Uh, and, and on the territory of the Russian Turkestan, on the on the territory of the Russian Empire. So uh, that the end of the 19th century was a period when the the Russian Empire advanced in Central Asia. It it uh, uh, acquired new territories. Uh, within the again, uh, it was the competition between the Russian Empire and the British uh, Empire. Uh, and uh, well, by the end of the 19th century. Uh, the Russian Empire uh, conquered the Kokanchenate uh, and incorporated it or annexed the territory of Kokanchenate and two other Khanates existed on the territory of Central Asia. Uh, Bukhara and Hiwa Khanate have been uh, not conquered by, uh, they uh, have been subjugated or they became the subjects of the, of the Russian Empire. Uh, and uh, the, the, the same uh, uh, like uh, uh, event, uh, the same, similar, very similar events happened on the territory of the um, Qing, Empire, Qing part of Central Asia, where in the end of the 19th century, the uh, because of the uprising of the Muslim population, uh, three Khanates uh, uh, have been established, and the Qing Empire uh, lost this territory for a certain while. For a certain period, and the and the emergence of the Yitishar uh, em, Emirate or the Khanate of Kash, in Kashgaria, the Taranchi Sultanate in the Ili region, and the Dungan Khanate uh, uh, became were very similar uh, in, in the way that that uh, uh, what kind of uh, political events happened on the Russian part of Central Asia. So emergence of three. Um, uh, independent Khanates, which short-lived uh, independent Khanates, uh, uh, involved uh, the inevitably involved the uh, attention. Uh, it um, involved the uh, uh, well, the uh, Russian and the British empires, uh, and uh, the. Uh, Russian Empire and the British Empire were very active in, in Xinjiang in, in, in dealing with, with the new situation, with the new geopolitical situation. And one of those actions uh, under, undertaken by the Russian Empire was the conquest of the uh, territory of the Taranshi Sultanate. Uh, and it happened in 1871. And it, it uh, Conquered this territory and uh, the and ruled uh, during one decade. And after one decade, uh, because of the reconquest of the of Xinjiang by the Qing Empire, uh, the Russian Empire returned this territory to the Qing Empire. Uh, well, uh, and uh, well, next uh, and the uh, well in 1881 uh, as a result of this. Um, uh, situation in the territory on the territory of Ili and Xinjiang in general. Uh, the St. Petersburg uh, sino Russian Treaty was signed, and according to that treaty, uh, the Russian Empire returned this uh, Ili uh, Valley to the Qing Empire. And uh, well, and one of the consequences of that uh, of that um, return 
was the migration of the Uyghurs and Dungas from the Ili territory to Semirechia Oblast of Russia, which is uh, nowadays is uh, Almaty Oblast uh, and others, some other uh, neighboring uh, provinces of uh, Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan uh, were the part of that uh, Semirechia Oblast. Well, and uh, during the Soviet Union, I, uh, I will. Uh, just finalize this part of my um, discussion. Uh, during the Soviet period, the uh, relations between uh, China and uh, uh, the Soviet Russia and, uh, and the Soviet Union uh, were regulated uh, by three, at least three treaties. The first uh, signed Soviet treaty was signed in 1924, and according to that, uh, um, well, to that treaty, the uh, Chinese Republic recognized the independence of the Soviet Union and uh, signed a Soviet Treaty of 1945 with Gomindang uh, was very important uh, in the uh, in the interrelations between the uh, between these countries and uh, China Soviet Treaty was new China Soviet Treaty was uh, signed just um, immediately after the communist takeover. Uh, the communists came to power in 1949, and the treaty was signed in 1950. And uh, uh, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, so I will not um, go in details in this term, but I, I was just mentioned that after the 1991 of the after the collapse of the Soviet Union, uh, all uh, republics, Central Asian republics, signed uh, treaties uh, agreements with with uh, with. People's Republic of China, and uh, there were uh, many uh, disputable issues, uh, and one of them were uh, was the territorial like claims of China, and a certain uh, part of the uh, borderlands uh, were uh, given to China according to those treaties. Uh, well, uh, and uh, when it comes to the uh, migrations which happened between uh, these territories, uh, Xinjiang and, and the territory of Kazakhstan, or uh, wider uh, Central Asia, the Russian Central Asia, uh, later Soviet Central Asia. So the, generally, uh, well, uh, the, the migrations have been characterized uh, or they have been uh, compared with pendulum. And, uh, and Ablage uses this word in order to show that uh, how uh, frequently population from one side of the borderland moved to another. And uh, uh, it was a frequent uh, migration uh, of the population uh, of frontier areas uh, to or from, uh, to China from, from Russia or from, from China to, to this part of the uh, to Central Asia, to this part of the of the borderland, and uh, well, and in order to demonstrate how often these migrations happened, uh, I just put here uh, the the most important, like uh, the mass migrations uh, with the migrations which uh, involved uh, numerous population of the re of, of these frontier areas, and the. the uh, and, the, and the first one was uh, the migration that I already mentioned, uh, which happened because of the return of the Ili Valley to from Russian Empire to the Qing Empire. And according to the uh, St. Petersburg Treaty Agreement, uh, the population was given a right to select where to live. And uh, more than four, like uh, more than 40,000 of Uyghurs uh, and uh, some groups of Dungans population from Kulja uh, left uh, their uh, homeland and moved to Semirechia oblasts of uh, the Russian Empire in 1881 and 1884. But before that, in 1871, when the Russian Empire conquered the uh, Ili Valley, uh, the, uh, uh, the Sultan of the Taranchi, um, Taranchi Sultanate, uh, Taranchi Khanate, Abil Ogli, uh, with relatives and the subjects um, uh, were moved by the Russian authorities uh, from Kulja uh, to Verni. And Verni is today's Almaty, as you know. 
and that was the first settlement, uh, the Uyghur settlement on the territory of uh, today's Almaty. Uh, well, and uh, uh, then uh, the uh, revolt uh, of the 1960s, 16 in Central Asia, including Semir Asia, was uh, had one of the uh, consequences uh, uh, of that uh, revolt was the migration of Kazakhs, Kyrgyz, Dungans, uh, and Uyghurs to uh, from Russian Semirich, from the Russian Central Asia to Kulja, uh, and uh, it was uh, also the like very um, the, the migration which involved a huge population of uh, of Central Asia. A civil war in Russian Turkestan, civil war in Russia, and the situation in uh, Russian Turkestan was one of the um, collisions, one of the conflicts which uh, stimulated the migration of uh, from uh, Central Asia to China. And that migration involved not only the local population, but also the Russians, and this will uh, the Russians will be also one of the factor, very important factors for the discussion of the entire uh, uh, story of uh, uh, the repatriation and migration of the 1950s and 60s. Uh, well, uh, and Bolsheviks, uh, the, the Soviet power, tried to return some of the migrants uh, which were uh, concentrated, which concentrated uh, on the territory of Kulja uh, to Semiratia, back to Semiratia in early 1920s. And it was quite success, uh, successful uh, attempt. Uh, so uh, some of the those people who left uh, Central Asia for China uh, earlier, especially during the 1916s period and during the Civil War, they returned to their home, to their places. Well, migration uh, and another wave of migration migration from the Soviet Union to Xinjiang uh, was connected with the uh, economic reforms and especially with the collectivization in agricultural sector in and starvation, uh, which happened on the territory of Kazakhstan in the uh, early 1930s, uh, and um, well. Many people fled, just fled from uh, uh, border, from especially from the border, uh, bordering areas, uh, from this frontier region to to China, and uh, uh, in the 1940s, the uh, number of the people crossing the borders were not that significant, and repatriation of the Soviet citizens of the 1950s became. Uh, 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 another uh, well huge uh, move of the union, and this will be uh, the uh, the well focus of our discussion. Uh, well, uh, as I already as I said that uh, the migration of Russians to China was very important for the uh, beginning of uh, for stimulating the migration or for organizing the repatriation of the Soviet citizen from China. Uh, well, uh, for the Second World War, uh, the, uh, the, there were two huge communities of Russian in, on migrants, let's say Russian migrants. They comprised huge communities on the territory of uh, Manchuria uh, uh, and Xinjiang. So, Manchuria, uh, the story about Manchuria is, uh, is a particular story and uh, it relates to uh, emergence to the, to the Russian policy in Manchuria of the Russian Empire and uh, uh, the uh, Eastern uh, Chinese Railway and the, the, the entire uh, like empire uh, became the influential uh, in Manchuria and it created the uh, um, and economic influence and all uh, this story of how the Russian uh, Empire tried to turn Manchuria into the territory of its infl economic influence. And the, uh, that process was, was accompanied by the uh, migration of the Russian Russians to Manchuria. And uh, 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 I will not uh, come back to this story with Manchuria, but uh, just because it's 
it's another story, but it relates to the discussion of the uh, migration from from Xinjiang to China because uh, the population of Manchuria was also the subject of this repatriation, and at the same time, uh, uh, numerous like the Russians from Manchuria were also uh, uh, they were also allowed to migrate uh, to the. Soviet Kazakhstan in the 1950s uh, and 60s, and therefore a uh, certain portion of the Rus Russian repatriates uh, of that period, they were they were generally from Manchuria, uh, and uh, and therefore I will I will not come back to the discussion of Manchuria. It's it's very interesting, and uh, but it deserves another particular focus, and uh, here it relates only to certain extent. Uh, as Manchuria is a source for the uh, migrants, uh, uh, for the, for the repatriates uh, of that period that we are discussing, uh, only in this context. Uh, well, uh, the, there are different uh, uh, figures uh, relating to the number of the Russians uh, which who, who lived in on the territory of China uh, and Xinjiang. Well, uh, according to one of the uh, one of the estimations, after the civil uh, war, uh, the number of the Russians uh, in Xinjiang uh, made up about sixty thousand people. Uh, but some other sources refer to uh, to other uh, smaller numbers. Like uh, in uh, there is one reference. Uh, of the 1928, said in 1928, uh, the number of the Russians living in in China uh, made up like uh, more than 13,000, which is more realistic. But anyway, uh, the number of the po uh, Russian population because of the um, uh, of uh, uh, the uh, which uh, settled down the Russians who, who settled down on, on Xinjiang because of the political collisions on, on the territory of the Russian Empire, including civil war. Uh, uh, th this was uh, quite essential. And uh, the Russians on the territory living in uh, Xinjiang, they were, uh, as well as the Russian population territory of Manchuria, they were actively uh, involved in the political uh, life of these provinces, and uh, uh, they were involved in the um, uh, political in the, in the struggle for 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 the for the power between the factions of the Chinese uh, elite, and uh, uh, and one of the examples of those uh, of active involvement of the Russians, who were called White Russians in the publications, uh, uh, was the story of. Uh, how the Soviet Union supported and helped Shinsha, the governor Shinsha side to came to power in uh, in Xinjiang in the province of Xinjiang, and uh, in the during the the, the 1930s, the early 1930s, uh, the Soviet when the Soviet Union uh, sent uh, its troops and uh, like military provided military support to Shinsha side, one of the military. Um, one of the of, uh, high-rank officers of uh, Xinjiang uh, to come to power. Uh, uh, very important where the uh, Russian, uh, the, the white Russians, or the those uh, Russians who settled down here during the civil war and even earlier. Uh, and active role of um, uh, Russians and uh, Tatars. Tatar, Tatars were another group uh, which uh, was quite essential in the economic and political life of Xinjiang, especially the uh, borderlands. Uh, and uh, the, this active role uh, uh, of these two communities, Russians and Tatars, can be seen uh, during the events related to the establishing of the Second Eastern Turkestan Republic. Uh, uh, and again, this is the uh, separate story, um, but here uh, I will just uh, refer to the uh, to the um, generally to the Soviet policy in order to understand how the Second Eastern Turkestan Republic was set up and uh, the role of the Russians and Tatars 
and of the citizens of the uh, of the Soviet Union in those events. It's very uh, we, we we cannot avoid discussing generally the uh, Soviet policy in uh, Xinjiang. Well, the Soviet Union um, will uh, uh, just a moment. Okay. Well, the general Soviet Union, uh, so I will come back uh, in, in a few minutes to the topic of the Eastern Texan Republic, but uh, by the uh, beginning uh, of the, by the, uh, by the time when this uh, Communist uh, Party of China came to power, uh, the number of the Russian uh, community was so essential, uh, the, the number of the Soviet and Russian in Xinjiang and, and uh, Manchuria was uh, so big that the Communist Party and the, the Communist power uh, became very meant about the uh, about having these uh, communities on the territory of China and from the uh, from the very beginning the com the Communist Party the Communist government uh, started negotiating with the Soviet Union, uh, the issue of the repatriation of the Soviet uh, citizens. And initially, the discussion was uh, relating to the uh, not just citizens, but the Russian community and uh, related uh, other uh, ethnic communities relating to uh, to this uh, ethnic group. Uh, and uh, from the very, very beginning, from the uh, early 1950s, the, the government of People's of Republic of China started the negotiations with the Soviet government uh, to start a repatriation of the uh, Soviet citizens. Uh, well, uh, and uh, Soviet, uh, during the existence of the Eastern Turkestan Republic, 1944-1949, uh, the entire population, which uh, the republic, which was uh, which covered three districts. Uh, which was established on the territory of three districts, uh, Altai, Ili Altai, and Tarbagatai. Uh, the uh, population uh, of this uh, territory was um, just because uh, the Eastern Turkish Republic was the polity which was created, which was established uh, by the help of the uh, Soviet Union. Uh, the uh, norm, uh, the process of Sovietization was uh, intensively occurring, and uh, meaning that uh, the um, Soviet consulates on the territory of three of these three um, districts uh, on the territory of Eastern Turkestan Republic, uh, they uh, um, organized. Uh, they they tried to uh, uh, to issue the Soviet citizenship and uh, distribute the Soviet passport to to the uh, local population, and they were. Uh, successful. Uh, there were five Soviet consuls in China and three, three of them were located on the territory of Eastern Turkish Republic. And uh, the, so uh, because of this Soviet involvement and the Soviet influence, uh, the entire population, the population of the of three districts neighboring Soviet Kazakhstan, they uh, were, they became very pro-Soviet. At the same time, the uh, huge number of the population um, of these three districts, they already acquired the Soviet passports and became the citi citizens of the Soviet Union. But uh, I'm sorry, not not a huge, but a significant number of the population. population. So I put here one of the passports, uh, just images of the of the Soviet passport, uh, which uh, was issued uh, to one of the uh, of the uh, like Uyghurs, uh, Uyghur farmer. Uh, who lived on the territory of uh, of Ili, uh, and uh, this passport uh, was issued. Uh, let me see. Uh, on well, in the <coughs> I'm sorry, uh, it was issued in 1946 um, during the period of Eastern Turkestan Republic. Uh, well, and um, uh, it was extended for many times, and the, and this this person, uh, how, how it happened that this passport survived? Usually, uh, uh, this person was he he passed away before 
the migration of uh, his family to before his family moved to the Soviet Union and the members of this family took this uh, passport with with them when they came to the Soviet Union. Well, this is uh, one of the examples of like just illustration of uh, which kind of passports have been issued to the uh, to the local population. Uh, well, and uh, the uh, very briefly uh, the uh, uh, period of the 1940s uh, was uh, another uh, very important stage in the uh, in the great game competition uh, and uh, just to describe the situation the geopolitical situation and the interests of the great powers in in Xinjiang in the 1940s uh, it is uh, uh, well um, enough to refer to the number of the consulates of uh, of uh, great powers which operated on the territory of uh, Xinjiang uh, by the, uh, during the uh, in 1940s there were two British consulates uh, uh, operating on the territory of Xinjiang one is in Kashgar it was open in the in the in early century uh, the uh, another council uh, was in Urumqi was um, opened in night in April 1946 43 uh, American consulate was uh, uh, opened in uh, Urumqi in 1943 again and here you see the uh, names of the cons consuls who worked on uh, in those consulates and uh, as i already said uh, there were five con uh, consulates of the soviet union on the territory of xinjiang so you see how intensive um, were the great powers uh, in, uh, when they uh, when they operated this uh, the the yeah, diplomatic mission and the consulates well uh, there, there are many other um, like uh, is relating to the interrelations between uh, the America, especially between the Soviet Union and America, uh, United States during the uh, Second World War and during the existence of the uh, Eastern Texas Republic. But uh, I will skip all of them because my um, discussion is about the migration. So uh, initially, uh, the migration of the 1960s uh, was uh, um, uh, was in like initiated by the uh, government uh, by the government of of the people's republic of china and the um, soviet union supported this sorry uh -huh. just before, one more interruption i just wanted to let you know um i think we'll probably give you maybe 10 more minutes or so and then we'll move on to um the q a if that's all right yes okay so uh it's perfect i think i will fit to this time frame great, great. i just well, want to give you they, a heads up. okay thank you uh, so the uh, well the, the uh, this migration uh, was initiated uh, by the government of China and it was supported by the Soviet Union and the Soviet Union was interested in in this repatriation uh, of the Soviet citizens because of the economic uh, development of the, of the post-war period economic situation the Soviet Union needed the human resources and especially because of the um, uh, the campaign or uh, of the uh, virgin lands uh, virgin lands um, campaign uh, uh, when uh, which was uh, uh, planned for the uh, immediately after the Second World War in the in the early 1950s and uh, to develop the um, and the lands uh, uh, in uh, uh, on the territory of Kazakhstan, uh, the uh, well, the special like budget and the special uh, special program was developed, and uh, and this uh, campaign began uh, began in 1954, and 1954 was uh, was exactly the the year when for the first time the first group of the repatriates uh, crossed the uh, Soviet Chinese border. Uh, so generally this uh, repatriation was organized as soon as it was uh, um, agreed and organized by the 
governments. So uh, the many uh, like state government organizations bodies who have been involved, and it was the plant, uh, the repatriation was very very well planned, and the consulates were given certain rights in the Soviet consulate. They registered the population, the applications, and they organized uh, groups, and uh, the. Um, the repatriation uh, happened. Uh, uh, the repatriation was generally very well organized, and uh, groups of uh, Soviet citizens, the holders of the Soviet passports, they crossed border according to cert to certain plans, and which were, were agreed uh, by the Soviet Union and China. Uh, well, uh, uh, and uh, there were. Uh, several stages in the migration. Uh, generally, I, uh, I um, uh, will name the entire move of the population uh, of that period, 1560s, as a migration. At the same time, uh, the uh, beginning of that migration uh, or the basis of that migration was the, uh, the repatriation of the citizens of the Soviet Union. Uh, well, at the same time, uh, they were other stories really uh, uh, which happened during that migration well uh, and the here you see the main stages of the migration well uh, the first period was covering the the, the uh, time span between summer 1954 and the beginning of 1964 it was the planned uh, like the groups when the groups of soviet citizens uh, according to, to the plans and it was very well organized and uh, and they and when they crossed the border they were settled uh, and uh, the soviet all soviet soviet uh, mechanisms were involved in order to accommodate them well in april uh, and may of 1962 uh, the exodus happened uh, more than uh, 70,000 Kazakh Uyghurs and other local people they crossed the border in the uh, they crossed the border on uh, in Ili uh, near like the border uh, uh, on from Ili and Tarbogatai side uh, they left for the Soviet Union illegally and this was the uh, illegal crossing and that, uh, uh, the border and uh, it, it didn't have the anything to do with the repatriation it was another stage well uh, in 1962 and 19 uh, well uh, 83 there were groups of uh, the, the remaining groups of the holders of the soviet passport left the, the, the country and the last episode here is the period of the Cultural Revolution, when the groups of Kazakhs and young, uh, young Kazakh and Uyghur people crossed illegally the state border, but, but it, it happened in another uh, political uh, frame in, uh, uh, the, related to the development of the Cultural Revolution in Xinjiang. Well, uh, well uh, briefly, the push factors of the migration. Why people, uh, well, why the population uh, uh, from the source uh, uh, from Xinjiang, they decided to leave the country. Uh, of course, here the economic, and economic and social situ situation was uh, uh, one of the factors. Uh, economic and social reforms of the, of the Communist Party of China in 1950s-60s, uh, like creation of the, uh, of the communes, great leap forward uh, policy, uh, which resulted in the starvation, uh, and the distribution of the products, uh, uh, the norms in the distribution of the products, regulation of the products distribution, and all these, um, well, negative effects of the reforms of the Communist Party in Ch of China. Political campaigns uh, were, was another factor. Uh, well, uh, the, the Communist Party, the Communist authorities started the persecution uh, of, the, of the local population, and uh, this was done uh, in the frame of, uh, in the course of the, um, well, uh, national uh, implementation of national policy of creation of the autonomies, and at the same time, the uh, series of the political uh, campaigns uh, against the local nationalism, especially the leaders of the uh, Eastern Turkish Republic and others, uh, they resulted in the in imprisonment of a huge 
uh, number of people uh, and the persecution of them. And this uh, pushed uh, the population to leave the country. Uh, influx of Han Chinese migrants uh, to Xinjiang and the growth of Han population was another factor. Uh, deterioration of sinusoid relations and complication uh, and um, uh, uh, at that time, the uh, Soviet Union, uh, the, the split between the Soviet uh, Union and China began, and the uh, this uh, deterioration it, uh, of the uh, relations it uh, also made its impact on the procedures of uh, leaving uh, the the Soviet hold, the holders of the Soviet passport and. Uh, from, from Xinjiang to, to the Soviet Union, and uh, and all the measures which have been uh, undertaken by the by the Chinese government in order to restrict uh, the people uh, who are the number of people who are going to leave, uh, this was uh, this created again the uh, situation of uh, um, like and uh, created the situation when the people tried to leave the country by all means. And then uh, after the incident of the 1962, the border incident and the illegal, uh, like the exodus of the of the population uh, of the um, frontier areas to uh, the Soviet Union, the uh, Soviet, uh, uh, all Soviet consulates have been closed in Xinjiang and it was kind of the end of the great game in Xinjiang when uh, the Soviet Union fully uh, left the province um, in, for the first time in the 20th century. Two factors, they were related to the, uh, uh, to the those factors which attracted the population the, uh, of Xinjiang. And, uh, uh, one of them is the Virgin Lands campaign, which has already mentioned. The Soviet Union needed the human resources and supported this repatriation, and then later not only repatriation but also uh, supported the uh, the, the uh, crossing. Uh, the uh, supported other population which didn't have the Soviet passports. They opened the borders to them, and uh, the this. Uh, a need in human resources uh, in the Soviet Union uh, uh, made the Soviet authorities to act uh, uh, in a certain way, and this was one of the, of course, the, one of the factors, pull factors. And the Soviet Union distributed the propaganda and distribution of the Soviet spirit passports. Uh, first of all, the distribution of Soviet passports was uh, very important uh, in um, uh, well. Uh, in creating certain uh, legal uh, frame of the uh, of uh, move from the Soviet uh, to the Soviet Union, uh, then Soviet propaganda in the 1950s were, uh, contributed to the uh, creation of the um, situation when the people tried to uh, when the people uh, supported the idea of leaving the country, the, leaving the uh, this province for the Soviet Union, and Soviet propaganda created the image of so the Soviet Union as a paradise. And uh, the periodicals in China praise the Soviet achievements in post-war period, and the, uh, and the demonstration of documentary films, movies. Uh, which idealized the life in the Soviet Union. They also, uh, well, created this uh, image of um, uh, the Soviet Union as a land of paradise, where the people could go and live the better life. Well, and of course, one of the uh, factors was the ethnic and cultural links and the uh, between the population of Xinjiang and the Soviet Central Asia, mean that the same ethnic groups lived on Xinjiang and they had their own uh, links, uh, very uh, sometimes the keen relations uh, and uh, these interactions between uh, the population of two sides of the border uh, also contributed to the desire to leave the country. Well, um, well uh, briefly about the accommodation of migrants in the Soviet Union. Uh, they accommodate the Soviet uh, government accommodated and the uh, the, uh, the migrants then uh, well the consequences the uh, there were different consequences on both sides of this uh, migration uh, well and I was also going to share with the some of the results and uh, observations uh, of, of our project but 
uh, if the if you put the questions, I will answer. I will incorporate this into this uh, the session. Uh, well, and the remembering the migration was different uh, in the different ethnic groups. Well, to conclude my presentation, my this uh, today's talk, uh, I would say that migration of the 1950s and 60s from China to Kazakhstan was one of the most important events in the Soviet period of Kazakhstan's history. Uh, which resulted in influx of more than uh, 200,000 uh, people. Uh, and it was initiated uh, by the governments of two countries uh, and can be seen as a result of uh, previous relations between China and Russia, a new geopolitical situation of the post-war uh, period when the communists came to power in China, uh, then deterioration of China-Soviet relations in the first decades of PRC, uh, People's Republic of China, well, instigation of migration by the Soviet authorities and exodus of 1962 was the final stage uh, in the Xinjiang politics of the United, of the Soviet Union, uh, or the last stage in China-Soviet great game, and a planned repatriation of the Soviet citizens. First of all, uh, Russians and Tatars from two provinces, Xinjiang and Manchuria, comprised the initial stage of the migration. However, due to many internal and external factors, it turned into sporadic mass exodus of population uh, of the frontier areas of Xinjiang in early 1962. And the last stage again <coughs> dealt with the planned move of remaining Soviet citizens uh, from Xinjiang. Stories told by immigrants allow us going beyond the paradigm of great game and looking at migrants as an active historical actors and all these stories told by the uh, the interviews uh, of different ethnic groups which were organized in kazakhstan over the last two years they give the another vision of, of the same migration uh, and other stories which were related to everyday of, uh, of the of the people, the emotions, uh, the uh, difficulties in uh, in uh, accommodation in the Soviet Union or uh, adaptation to the Soviet uh, environment, and a very interesting point here was also which I didn't have time to articulate. The migrants of the Soviet uh, of that time they contributed to the. Um, Develop, uh, to the development of these uh, the communities and very important element I will stop with, with, with articulating that one the uh, because of the migration of that period the uh, new, uh, Chinese segments of the uh, Chinese segments uh, emerged in uh, some of the communities some of the communities especially among the Uyghurs of Kazakhstan Tatars of Kazakhstan and Central Asia, not only Kazakhstan, not Central Asia, of course, other countries, and Dungas. Well, Chinese segment was less articulated in the Kazakh population, among the Kazakhs, and uh, uh, those uh, miles of the Russian origin um, generally they disappeared in the huge uh, Russian population of the Soviet Union. Uh, well, I will stop at this point. Thank you very much for your attention.